Father in heaven, we come to your word as we do each week. Each week, Father, I understand that I am insufficient, that I am unworthy. In spite of that, Father, we pray that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, we ask that your words may flow forward, that mine might be stopped, that I might be hidden behind the cross of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. May everything in the message lift high your name, Lord Jesus. May you work through your word, your perfect word, to teach us, to rebuke us, to correct us, to encourage us, to comfort and convict us. Lord, we pray that you would work through the reading and the teaching and the proclamation of your holy word. We ask that you would do that now. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible with you this morning, and I hope that you do, I encourage you to take it and turn with me to the book of James in the New Testament. If you don't have your own copy of Scripture with you, feel free to borrow one from the back of the pew there that's in front of you. Feel free to access the Word of the Lord in a digital format or in print or follow along on the screens. If you are in a paginated text and you want to follow along to get there, get to the New Testament, work your way through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, You'll get to Acts, then you hit some of Paul's letters. You get Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, then you get to the General Electric Power Cooperative, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. You hit all the T's, okay? Just knock all the T's out right there. You get 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, and then Titus. And then you get to that little book called Philemon, and then you get to Hebrews. And once you've made it to Hebrews, you're almost there. Then you get to James, all right? If you get past James, you see 1 Peter. You went one book too far. Just back up just a little bit. We'll be in James chapter 3 this morning. I'll be reading for us verses 1 through 12 of James chapter 3. If you found your place in sacred scripture, I would ask if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's holy word? As we look together now at James chapter 3, I'll begin in verse 1. When I complete verse 12, I will say this is the word of the Lord. I encourage you to respond with a hearty thanks be to God. Let's look together now, beginning in James chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. 
It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the very likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. If you've been coming and tracking with us through our sermon series in the book of James, you will no doubt already realize and understand full and well that if you thought you were a really good Christian and then began to read the book of James, you'd have a rough time feeling that way by the end. It is a difficult and challenging book that pushes us and stretches us to realize our unrighteousness and God's perfect righteousness. God is perfect in every way. And even when we think we've got our lives together, when we approach this book, we realize there's so many things yet still for us to hone and work on and to sharpen. Listen, I just want to remind everybody that you're never going to get there. I'm never going to get there. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you have the faith that we talked about last week, not some mental assent, not some cheap belief, but when you have faith that is active, that is verified by how we live our lives, that faith saves you and me by God's grace. By grace, we are saved through faith. The evidence of that faith is the fact that we constantly are working to be more and more like Jesus. But we will never be just like Jesus until we stand face to face with him. And so that's what James is giving us. James is giving us godly wisdom, practical advice for how to live in light of that gospel. How to live out the works that are described in chapter 2. And you better believe that I wish with all my being that James chapter 3 just was not there. Especially these first 12 verses, okay? As a teacher, as a preacher, as somebody who is called into the ministry, every time I get to James chapter 3 verses 1 and 2, I, I, I just absolutely shudder. A cringe goes down my spine. Because as I read, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. As as that rings into my mind, I think about the various times that I've stood up here and preached. And you have to understand, there's many times I've stood up here at this pulpit and preached, and my tongue has not even been tame in the act of preaching the word of the Lord. There have been times when I tried to say the word dominoes. And another word, using another vowel, that is a very ugly word, came out of my mouth instead of the word dominoes. And I have to live with that shame for the rest of my life. There was one time that I referred to my attitude as a posterior body part that was very inappropriate. And I got many phone calls that week reminding me that their children are now referring to those posterior areas of their anatomy as well. And I have to live with the shame of that forever. But I I want to 
help you and, and make you rest more assuredly that when I have a slip of my tongue here in this place or anywhere, I, I get judged with greater strictness somehow one day standing before the Lord. I have to hold myself accountable. I have to stand responsible for every word, every thought, every deed, and with more strictness as one who presumes to teach God's Word. This is something that I don't think of lightly. This is something that keeps me up often at night because I don't pray that prayer every time that I start because I I just think it sounds good. I pray that I am insufficient and inadequate and God would speak anyway because I know it to be true. We all fail. We all falter. That's why verse 2 is at least somewhat of a comfort. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he or she says, then they are perfect. Listen, if you've figured out how to never say something you didn't want to say, then you have made it to perfection. If you never slip up and you never say anything wrong in any given situation, you have attained perfection. You have reached that spot. But James is reassuring us there's only one who's ever attained perfection. And so we're all in the same boat. But even though James gives wonderful analogies here, I think those analogies are important. But I I want us to focus on this taming of the tongue. A very small rudder, a very small spark can start a huge blaze. All of those things are true. But I want us to focus on what we normally think of when we think of taming the tongue. And for that, I want us to turn to Colossians chapter 3, verse 8. Colossians Chapter 3, verse 8, parallels what we're looking at here in James, chapter 3. Colossians, chapter 3, verse 8. But now, this in Paul's writing, now you must put these things away. Now that you follow Christ, now that you claim to be changed by this incredible grace that God offers to you, now it is time to put these other things away. Put away all of them, anger and wrath and malice, and slander. And then anger, wrath, malice, and slander is followed immediately by obscene talk. Now, it should not be italicized or boldened in your Bible. I've done that just for effect here in the message. Obscene talk from your mouth. And what we typically do is we think tame the tongue, and we think obscene talk, and we think of wordy dirds, right? Dirty words, right? You with me? Potty words. We think of the things that we're not supposed to say. But I want us to remember and understand English curse words did not exist when this was written. This is not just referring to curse words and swear words. This is not just referring to words that are deemed inappropriate culturally. Because where you are culturally changes whether a word is ugly or not. Unfortunately, I know a lot of Spanish cuss words. If I were to recite every one of them for you here behind this pulpit, they're not dirty words. Do you know why? Because you have no idea whether I'm really saying an ugly word in Spanish or not. Culturally, it matters what words are good and what words are bad. As a culture, we can deem that any word is good or bad, but that's not The end goal of what Scripture is teaching us. What Scripture is teaching us ties to those four things listed before 
obscene talk. Anger, wrath, malice, slander. What normally, what is the state of our minds normally? What is our state of mind normally when we lose control of our tongue? Are you well fed? Are you happy? Are you well rested? Are you joyful? Are you exuberant? When you lose control of your tongue, are you in a wonderful mood? Are you very calm, very placid, very peaceful? Or when you and I lose control of our tongues, are we filled with anger? We're seeking wrath. We want to exact our malice on someone else. And because of that, we're willing even to slander and say things that are not true about someone else. That's usually the case, right? We're filled with anger. We're filled with wrath. We're filled with malice and slander. That's why in James chapter 3, he talks about how this tiny little bitty rudder turns the whole big boat. Even though it takes huge sails and enormous gusts of wind, the rudder controls where the boat goes. Even though the horse is a huge and enormous and powerful animal, you put a bit in its mouth, you turn its head, and all of a sudden it walks this way. You turn its head, all of a sudden it walks this way. All of that from a bit in their mouth. You set a tiny spark, especially in California where they they don't do control fires and control burns like the wonderful people who manage the Connecticut National Forest around here do. All right, we've got people who know what they're talking about in forestry service in the state of Alabama. Amen. Amen. Hey, we got people in our church that work for the Forestry Service, all right? They do a really good job. Forestry Service does good, right? Amen. You can let loose your tongue. It's all right to say amen and acknowledge we got good people. But still, even with the control burns, a good spark in a dry season at the right place, it all just explodes, right? Have you ever really struggled to get charcoal going? Like, I love charcoal. Food tastes so much better when you cook it or smoke it with some charcoal, some wood chips, But you're like, all right, I got things to do. Charcoal. It's charcoaling. Not really on fire. Where's the lighter fluid? Where's the lighter fluid? You get the light. Soak it up, right? Take that match. And then there went your eyebrows, right? I mean, it's happened to so many of us at least once because then you know not to do it that way again. For some reason, when parents tell you not to do it that way, experience is the only way to learn that one. I've just determined everybody's got to singe a little bit of hair before they stop putting just that much lighter fluid on the fire. But a tiny little spark, the flame added, and then boom, the right fuel, and then the charcoals catch a blaze, and now you have a hot fire going. Same, same thing is true with our tongues. These enormous catastrophic effects happen not just because you said a bad word. You stubbed your toe and said an ugly word. Oh, sugar, I should have held onto my tongue better. I should be better about avoiding those naughty bad words. That is important, okay? We, we shouldn't say words that are culturally obscene. But the obscene talk is not necessarily about those words. It's much more about how you cut and tear somebody down. I wish I could say I was really good at this, but this is probably one of the areas that I fail most miserably in all my life. And I don't know where you are. I don't know what your point of frustration and exasperation is, but when I get there in my life, I have a very hard time controlling my tongue. And... 
I just want to give one brief example because I, I don't have to go far. I can tell you about something yesterday. Yesterday, I heard one of my children tell a joke that was very inappropriate. And they had heard a cousin tell that joke. In front of my whole family, I, I was done. I was as, uh, it's birthday party time, right? You know, you just had princess birthday party. Everybody's happy. Everything's good. And you, you've just, just been a long day. A lot of family coming in and a lot of family there. And it's just, you're at that limit, right? And I, I heard that joke and, and it, oh man, it was just inappropriate. And, and this particular kid said it against my mom, their grandmother, and it was so disrespectful. And so, okay, maybe, maybe he didn't have control of his tongue in that moment, but my response was to very, very publicly in front of all the family, call him to me. And when he got before me, I didn't cuss. I didn't even come close to saying a, a bad word, but I tore him to shreds. And he went to go to apologize to my mother as I demanded that he do. And he couldn't apologize because when he got to his grandmother, he burst into tears because I had absolutely destroyed his spirit. And then his cousin saw him crying and she realized what she had caused in a small domino effect. And she regretted her words and regretted how it made her cousin feel and regretted what she said against her grandmother. She didn't mean anything by it. It was a joke. It was inappropriate, but it, it, it wasn't the worst thing in the world. But just like this, I set a whole forest on fire. And I didn't have to say a single cuss word. I didn't have to swear. Have you ever noticed that the things that hurt you the worst are not when somebody cusses you and blesses you out? You can usually write that off. But when somebody knows how to cut you, and they're filled with anger. And they want their wrath. And they need a place to put their malice. Then your tongue slices and cuts deep. And the hurt lasts long. This is what James is talking about. This is how it connects to Colossians chapter 3 verse 8. Men, how many times have you been frustrated with your spouse? And you want to win the argument. And you know right where to cut. To hurt the most. And you may not even think it. You may not even believe it. But you know if you say it, it will have the effect you wanted. And so you cut. And then you see what happens. Your tongue is loosed. And all you can do then is watch the flame as it grows. Watch the ship as it turns. Wives. How often do you know right what to say to make that mighty strong man that you're married to crumble into a blubbering little boy who just wants to lay his head on his mommy and mommy tell him it's not true? Your best friends, you know how to cut them the worst. The people you're closest to are the easiest to wound when you unleash your tongue. We all struggle. But this is the command. This is wise, practical living. Find a way around it. Something as simple as calling Luke to me yesterday and saying, hey, buddy, let's mean you have a chat later on. And then leave it there. Give myself time to calm down. Talk to him later 
about what he said. Deal with it then in a calm manner. I can still accomplish the same goal. You know, telephones exist, right? He could have called his grandmother. He did not have to confront her face to face before she left. That was not the most urgent thing in the world. Take a breath. Take a pause. Don't let your tongue run wild. You will do more harm than you realize. Even when you think, ah, I'm going to say this and it's a joke. Because it's, it's so obvious that it's not true that when I say it, it's just going to be funny, right? I'm going to say that this thing is how it is and everybody knows it's not, so they'll all laugh, right? It's called sarcasm. It's a snide. It's a snarky remark. You tell somebody they're, they're bad at their job. when you, Everybody knows they do a great job, except that one person who you're saying does a bad job now thinks, great, do I really do a bad job? Have I just been lying to myself? Maybe that is true. What about that person that's worked so hard to lose so much weight, but you've joked with them their whole life about how fat they are, right? And so you make one more little fat joke, and you think, ah, they've lost so much weight, it's obvious that's not who they are. Yeah, but for them, they're still that person who's overweight, struggling, Day to day, looking in the mirror, thinking that they look horrific. And you just set all of that on fire. What about that person that's worried about their intelligence? What about that person that's worried about how proficient they are at their job or whether or not they're going to get fired or whether they look good in what they're wearing? As Christians, we take a lot of joy in putting others down so that we can get a laugh, right? But people laughed. I mean, everybody got it. Everybody knew it was a joke. You see how the whole room lit up. Maybe so. But in that moment, you spark and the flame is gone. And it's over. You can't get those words back. How many times have the words flown from your mouth and you went, (laughs) get them back. It doesn't work, does it? You can't grab them and put them back. Once they're said, it's said. Whether you meant it or not. But the text told us nobody, nobody, nobody will ever be able to control their tongue. Because if they could, they'd be perfect, right? But folks, there should be a difference in us. And that doesn't just mean that among Christians, we're very self-righteous and we don't say any potty words. It means that on our tongues, people find encouragement. On our tongues... People find something that builds them up. We find something positive to say when everybody else in the world is tearing someone down. You and I be the one person that goes over to them and say, hey, don't worry about what they're saying here because I've seen you do this and you do this really well. There's always a way that you can make somebody feel better. When somebody comes into the room and everybody takes a jab at them, right? Man, it is the most guy thing to do. You walk in, your hair's a little a mess. Oh, just rolled out of bed and came this morning, huh? Everybody else sounds off. (laughs) By the time that guy sits down, they're like, dear heavens, why did I even come? Like, what was the point of being here if all they're going to do is rip me apart? Be the one person in the room that's like, hey, man, thanks for being here this morning. Whether you just rolled out of bed or not, appreciate you making the effort. It's awesome that you arrived. There's other folks that couldn't be here. Thank you for being here. It's so simple. It's so subtly positive. Be affirming. 
if you can't find something good to say about somebody, keep your mouth shut. If I can't find something good to say about somebody, I should keep my mouth shut. It's the thumper rule, right? Everybody remember? What did mom say? If you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. I mean, okay, it's from the Bambi movie, but that doesn't make it any less true. Why are we Christians, brother, sister in Christ, why are we the number one offenders when it comes to cutting people down? You go to the car dealership and you're buying a new vehicle and you make a total fool of yourselves in the way that you interact and do business. And then you think, ha, 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 I got a good deal. I got another $500 off there. Right. But that person never wants to do business with you again because the way your tongue lashed out at them. If you lose that person and the opportunity to introduce them to Jesus, but get $500 off your car We lost. It's not worth that $500 to let loose our tongues in such a way as to ruin our witness. As Christians, we should be the ones who are willing to be wronged. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. We should be the ones who are willing to be wronged and get the raw end of the deal for the sake of the gospel. And to not bellyache and moan and complain about it. And if we have something that is genuinely an injustice and is wrong, there's a way for us to speak up about it without setting loose our tongues in a way to cut and to reveal our wrath and our anger and our malice without slandering someone in their business and their life. I just wonder. I've already laid bare how I'm doing. It's pretty pitiful. I already know I'm going to get judged stricter for it. But can you answer for yourself this morning? Just between you and the Lord. Don't raise your hand. Don't shout out back at me. But when it comes to taming your tongue, do you sound different than the rest of the world? I wonder, do you have friends or acquaintances who don't know Jesus, who have their tongues tamed better than you and I? Where do you stand on taming your tongue? And if you're here this morning and you think there's just no way, you're right, there's not. But there is a way to be saved from how loose our tongues are. Because he says, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. You know, there was one man that did that. He was born from a virgin. He lived an entire life and he never sinned. He never once said something he didn't mean to say. He said what he meant. He meant what he said. His tongue was completely tamed. Even though he was tempted in every way like you and I. He was tempted to let loose the vitriol and the venom and the poison from his tongue that he could have. And boy, could he have, right? But he held back. He controlled his tongue, and never sinned. And then he died the death that we deserve to die because we can't control our tongues and he controlled his, yet he died for those who would not be able to tame their tongues. And then he didn't stay dead. That's why we meet on Sunday, right? Because very early Sunday morning, he rose from the grave. And if we put our faith 
in him and trust in him and ask the Holy Spirit to come into our lives and our hearts and to change the way we use our tongues, our speech will change. There will be less potty words that come out of our mouths and there will be less times that we set forests afire with our anger and our wrath and our malice. So if you find that your tongue is not tamed, and that you sound no different than any of your friends or acquaintances who never darkened the door of a church, who've never trusted in the gospel one way or the other. I wonder if maybe your tongue is out of control because you've never trusted in the only one who can control their tongue. If that's you this morning, I want you to know we're going to have a time of invitation, and you can come down front, and you can say, listen, I've been, I've been playing Christian really good But when I try really hard and I don't trust in the Lord, I fall flat every time. I don't think I've ever trusted in the Lord. I'd love to talk to you about what that looks like. Pray with you. Maybe this morning you're like me. And you're just really bad at controlling your tongue sometimes. And you just need to repent. Say, Lord, forgive me. Wash me clean all over again. Help me to speak softer to my kids, to my spouse, to my friends, to my coworkers, whoever it may be. I want you to know that there is power in making an altar for yourself before the Lord. When we have a time of invitation, use the pew. Just bow down on your knees and turn around right there and use that as your altar to pray to the Lord. Come down front and bow at these steps. Use this as an altar to show the Lord, hey, I'm serious about this. I want to be different. Maybe the Lord's moving on your heart for some other reason. Whatever that may be, I'm going to pray for us. Jason's going to come and lead us in a song. While he leads us, I want to encourage you to respond however the Spirit might lead. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you that you are perfect, even though we are not. Lord, thank you that you love us, even when we cannot tame our tongues. Thank you that you love us when we're filled with anger and wrath and malice and slander, when obscene talk permeates from our mouths. Lord, please forgive us. Lord, forgive me. Change our hearts. Help us, Lord, to speak with the love and the grace and the mercy that you have shown to us. Father, we are desperate for your help and your intervention. Spirit, would you come? Would you move in these moments? We love you so much, Father. We ask all this in Jesus' name.